<laughs> well, hello, everyone. Um, my phone is on 50%, uh, so pray that it doesn't die. It shouldn't die, um, but let's let's hope that it, it uh, there's enough battery in there to uh, to do this. I <clears throat> uh, hope you all are well. Um, let's pray, and then we will begin our lesson. Our Lord and God, we thank you for giving us this time that we may uh, go through your word, that we may see the error of atheism, that we may see and glory in uh, that divine and supernatural light that you have given to us. You have given to us your spirit. You have infused in us grace. You have given to us your son. We thank you for all the wonderful graces and gifts that you give to undeserving people like us. Help us now by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we are in uh, question three of our catechism. Um, I actually thought that we were going to be, by the time we got done with all this, that we'd probably be be in question ten or something like that. Um, But, uh, uh, as Pastor Antonio has said, that we are going to... um, Send out an email, and uh, if uh, the vote uh, comes back positive, uh, then we'll be meeting um, sooner. Um, let me just say, because this is going to be one of the last times uh, that we that we speak of the catechism, if everything comes back positive, um, don't neglect this catechism. Uh, there's much rich theology in uh, these answers, and these answers really are to just, um, they're, they're really to guide you and lead you to studying the topic more. Um, it's really giving you some help into going more in depth in the answer uh, that's given, but also the question as well. So question three, if you have your catechism, if not, that's fine. Um, and I hope everyone got the, the study notes. Um, if you didn't, let me just give you just let me just give you a rundown the four study questions. Number one, what is natural theology? What is natural theology? Number two, um, how is natural theology insufficient? How is natural theology insufficient? Number three, what is supernatural theology? Uh, and number four. Um, and what ways is supernatural theology sufficient? Okay. So, question three says this. How may we know there is a God? How may we know there is a God? Answer. The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God. But his word and his spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation. Sinners. In question three of our catechism, we now move on to how do we know there is a God? And if you remember in question one, uh, the writers of our catechism asked, who is the first and chiefest being? We answered, that's God is the first and chiefest being. They built upon question one in question two by asking, ought everyone to believe in this one who is first and chiefest? And the answer that we gave is, yes, everyone ought to believe that there's a God because God has written 
the knowledge of himself on men's hearts. Meaning everyone knows from birth that God exists. Now, does that mean that babies can already articulate the existence of God? No. But when man finally comes to the knowledge that there is a God, he's not saying anything new. But rather, he's only saying that which was already inside of him, that he suppressed, that he's held down for so long. Now, in question three, it asks, how do we know that there is a God? How do we know that there is a God? So, it's moving from sort of what, how we know that there's a God inside of us, by observing also the created world around us via creation. And part of this answer is going to be a little bit of a review, uh, because we touched on this two Lord's days ago. But, again, question three. How do we know that there's a God? We know that there's a God by the light of nature and man, and the works of God plainly declare that there's a God. But his word and spirit only do what fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. The theology that our catechism in question three is bring, uh, that is bringing out is twofold, okay? There's a twofold theology that this, our catechism is bringing out. First, when it says the light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God, they're speaking of what is called natural theology. Natural theology. And when it says, his word and his spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners, they're speaking of what is called supernatural theology. Supernatural theology. So it's bringing forth natural theology and supernatural theology. And there's been much debate over these two terms. And if you were to read any older Reformed systematic theology, uh, even beyond that, even a medieval theology, a systematic theology, maybe Aquinas or Bonaventure or someone like that, they speak of what is called natural theology and supernatural theology. Uh, that's all men possess and that's all men can come acquire by spirit. So let's tackle these two questions or this question in two points. Number one, natural theology. We'll look at natural theology. Uh, the insufficiencies of natural theology, and number two, supernatural theology, and the great um, gift of supernatural theology. So number one, natural theology, number two, supernatural theology. And let me tell you, saints, um, don't, uh, don't fear already that this might be all, all over your head, because um, what I'm really doing here is I'm just putting labels and defining uh, things that you already know, you already speak of. I'm just now putting a label on it. I'm putting a definition to it, um, a title to it. So, number one, natural theology. Natural theology. Natural theology, and, and this is what is meant by our writers of our catechism when they speak of the light of nature. That is an older way of speaking of natural theology. So, if you, if you ever read something, maybe an older work of systematic theology, or you hear a pastor uh, tell you, uh, yeah, the light of nature in man. That is natural theology. Okay, That's another way of saying natural theology. Theology is the study of God. That's what theology is. It's the study of God. 
So when we say natural theology, think of the study of God theology and think of natural creation. We are saying that we can study God through creation. That's natural theology. That it is speaking God or studying God through creation. David Hines defines natural theology this way. Natural theology, broadly defined, is that part of philosophy which explores that which man can know about God from nature, namely his existence and divine nature, via man's divinely bestowed faculty of reason. Unaided by any divinely inspired written revelation from any religion and without presupposing the truth of any one religion. And I particularly like this quote. Notice what he's saying. Apart from presupposing any one religion, meaning apart from already reading the Bible, apart from ever reading the book of Quran or, um, or um, any other uh, book that a religion uh, follows, Apart from ever reading the Bible, let's say, apart from knowing and believing that Christianity is true, so suppose you've never heard of Christianity and you never read the Bible, man, by the use of his reason, can come to know that God exists by observing creation. Let me say that again. Apart from believing in Christianity and apart from ever reading the Bible, man can come to a knowledge of God. Man can say that God exists by the use of his reason by observing created world around him. In other words, from the things which are made, man is able to reach conclusions about God according to the right use of reason. And saints, that's all what natural theology is saying. Natural theology is coming to believe that there is a God from the use of reason by observing creation. For example, if a man was to walk outside, suppose he never read the Bible, doesn't know anything about Christianity, he's never watched any uh, atheist versus Christian debate on YouTube, and as he looked around, he sees the clouds, he sees the sun, he sees all this nature around him. Suppose that's... Uh, uh, the sun gives way to the moon, and uh, it's nighttime. He sees the stars. He sees the change in day, that everything happens on a specific and particular time. He can come to the conclusion that there is a God. He can say that someone had to create all this, that, that someone is setting all of this and keeping all of this in motion. That example. Uh, that we use there is man utilizing natural theology. Man can come to know that God exists from observing the things that are created. And why is that, friends? Why can man come to know that God exists by observing the things that are created? Why is that? The reason is because God has revealed himself in creation. That is why man can come to a knowledge that God exists by observing mountains, by observing the sun and the moon and the stars. Because God has left his existence upon the created world. God has made himself known all throughout creation. 
There's not one part in this world that doesn't testify, that doesn't amen the glory of God. Francis Turretson says, God has so clearly manifest himself in his works. Here's what he said. God has so clearly manifest himself in his works that man, and hear this, cannot open their eyes without being immediately struck with the majesty and splendor of so great a deity. You can't even open your eyes and not see God's glory on display. John Calvin says, Man cannot open their eyes without being so compelled to see him. Upon his individual works, he has engraved unmistakable marks of his glory. So clear and prominent that even unlettered and stupid folk cannot please excuse of ignorance. Calvin and Luther were, um, were not sometimes wise with their words, but... It is true. What Calvin and Turretin are basically saying is all throughout this world, all throughout this universe, God has engraved marks of his glory. God's fingerprints are all over this creation that you cannot turn left, you cannot turn right, you can't look down, you can't look up without seeing the leftover marks of God's glory. Because he created it. It has his fingerprints all over. And saints, this is what is meant by our catechism in question three when it says the works of God plainly declare that there is a God. This is what the Bible teaches, is it not? Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 95, 3-5 the Lord, uh, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. He, in his hand, are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry ground. And lastly, Romans 1, 19 and 20, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely, uh, attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine glory have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. Notice what Paul is saying, that creation, it's shows, it displays the visible, the invisible attributes and the eternal power of God. Creation around us tells us that God exists. And Paul says, God made it so, so that man is without excuse. If you remember two weeks ago, I quoted John Calvin when he says that, God oftentimes enlarges himself, makes himself more known to people who suppress the knowledge of God. So that they'll have more, uh, so they won't have more of an excuse. Here we see from the biblical witness of scripture that God has left his fingerprints. He's left his, his handiwork all throughout creation. Again, saints and 
This is something to teach your little ones. That there isn't one place in this universe that God has not touched. That there's not one place in this universe that's not a proof for God's existence. There's one thing that we're to teach our children, especially at the time now. It is that, along with the gospel and other things. But that it is, or creation itself came from the divine hand of Almighty God. So man is without excuse. There's never going to be an atheist when he reaches heaven and he says, well, God, I don't believe in you because you didn't give me enough proof. That's never going to happen, saints. And we know, of course, that men suppress this knowledge of God. There are many astrophysicists, cosmologists, and scientists out there that say, no, this world did not come about by God, but this world came about by random chance. This world has always been, maybe. But saints, we know and we believe, because God has revealed it this way, that he is the one that created it all. That there's no possible way that this universe came about by the years and years and decades and millennia and millennia of nothing. And then one Sunday afternoon, it just came about. That's not how things work in this world. All things come into being by another, by someone outside of itself. And that's what we are saying with God is that God is the one that set in motion all that we see around us. So, in summary, natural theology says that man can come to a knowledge of God from their use of reason by observing the created world around them. I wasn't going to mention this, but one... uh one time I was teaching the, the children in class, and I was talking about the existence of God. And uh, I don't know if they're in here or not. I hope they are. But uh, April um, and Louie's daughter, um, she said, my friends don't believe that there's a God. But I tell them, how could you not believe that there's a God? Look around us. Who, who do you think created all this? And I was so, I was so proud of her because... Here you have a little girl who's probably, she's never read the entire Bible. She's never listened to any debates concerning the existence of God. She doesn't know of all the scientific proofs or philosophical arguments concerning God. But she knows that God exists by just observing the created world around her. And friends, that's what we must instill in our children because that is what is true. The natural theology that all men possess can as Francis Turretin says, lead him to believe that there is a God and that he must be religiously worshipped. Now let's consider the second and the last point, which is supernatural theology. Supernatural theology. Although natural theology is what every man possesses, every man possesses natural theology. Every man can come to a knowledge of God by the use of reason observing the created world around them. Although men have that theology within them, that theology alone can't save them. Okay? 
Although man can come to the knowledge of God by observing the created world around them, that knowledge alone can't save them. Again, let's read what our catechism says. The light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God. Simple, we've gone through that. But his word and spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. Notice what our catechism is saying, friends. Although creation plainly declares that there is a God, creation itself doesn't save anyone. In other words, if man was to walk outside and observe the created world around him, and he comes to the conclusion that there is a God, that there is a creator, that he is eternal, that knowledge alone, does that knowledge alone save him? Does that knowledge alone pardon him from all of his sins, where he now has access to heaven? No. That knowledge doesn't save him. Therefore, natural theology is insufficient. It's insufficient. Now, it's sufficient to tell us of God's existence. It can do that. But it is insufficient to save one's soul. Creation can teach us many things. Namely, that there is a God. That he is eternal. That he is immutable. That he is a maker. But creation doesn't teach us that we are dead in our sins. You, you can't look at the sun and the moon and the stars and come to the conclusion that you are dead in Adam. That you are a sinner by nature. Creation doesn't teach us that we are of no hope for salvation if left to ourselves. Creation doesn't teach us about the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So man is not saved by simply acknowledging that God exists by observing the created world. Rather, man needs to repent of his sins and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. There has always been one way of salvation. From the very beginnings of the New Testament to the very ends of the New, Te of New Testament, Old Testament and the New Testament, even now in our present day, which we are living in the last days. That's, oh, there's always been one way to the Father, and that is through his Son, Jesus Christ. The older theologians would say that in order for man to believe, in order for man to rise above his nature, man needs a divine and supernatural light. Man needs a divine and supernatural light in order to believe in the true light, as John tells us in, first, in, in John 1, that true light is Jesus Christ. You need light to see light. Ultimately, what man needs is grace, does he not? Man needs grace. He needs the spirit to believe that he is dead in his sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he alone is our only hope for salvation. And this is what our catechism means when it says, by his word and spirit, not by looking at the plain works of God in creation. There's never been someone that's been saved by just looking at trees and looking at sands and, and observing the stars. But by his word, God's word, and by his spirit, 
only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. In simple terms, you need the Holy Spirit to move beyond the belief that there is a God, to rise above belief that there is a God, to a full acknowledgement of your sins and of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Friends, you know this all too well. When you speak to your unbelieving friends or family members, have you ever talked to an unbeliever and told them of their sins? You told them what the Bible says that they are in Adam. But you also remedy that with the saving work of Jesus Christ. And you told them that if they repent of their sins, that they will find Christ as a perfect redeemer. And have you ever left that conversation and it just stared at you like you just spoke to them in Chinese? Or they were so uh, rebellious. They were totally rejected Christ and his good news. Sometimes maybe they even hardened, hardened their hearts more. Their hearts became more stony. Or maybe you've been frustrated. Many times I know I've been frustrated with some of my unbelieving friends and family members. Because you keep telling them the gospel. You keep telling them. That there is a hell and that they will go there if they don't repent of their sins and place all of their faith in Christ and Christ alone. That there is no work that they can do to earn their salvation. And they keep rejecting Christ. They say it's just not time yet. Or they don't want to believe. And I've left and I'm sure you left frustrated, not knowing what to do, maybe giving up hope. And you've asked yourself, I'm sure. Why won't they believe in Jesus Christ? Why is it? They know that there is a God, but they won't believe in Jesus Christ. Why can't they get past that barrier? Friends, the reason why they keep rejecting Christ is because they need the Spirit to believe in the things that are spiritual. Again, they need the Spirit of God. To believe in spiritual things. Saints, why is it that you love the Bible and believe that they're not just fairy tales or made up stories? That you believe that on the third day, a man who is truly God rose out of a tomb and came uh, and walked uh, the, the dusty streets of Jerusalem. Why do you believe that? And your friends don't. Why is, when you read the Bible, it's refreshing to you? Why do you love to pray? Why do you love to, to speak about heavenly things and spiritual matters? The reason, saints, is because you've been given the spirit to believe that not only God exists, not only that God created the world, but believe that God has sent his son and the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem us who are in the flesh. Why do you believe, friends? Because you've been given a divine supernatural light. You've been given light to receive and believe that which is spiritual. The natural man can't see that. They're blinded to that. But you, saints, you are the ones who have been given that great gift. God has given to you his spirit and his infused grace within you, that you may believe. 
And without assistance of, without this, uh, assistance of God, without a divine and supernatural light, without supernatural theology, man cannot be saved. So, friends, keep preaching the gospel, but don't, you can get frustrated. But just know that they won't believe what you are saying until God awakens them. They can't believe in light if they are first not given light. Again, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches supernatural theology. First uh, Corinthians 2.14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Notice what it says. The natural man, man, without the assistance of God, without divine grace, without supernatural theology, without this divine and supernatural light, they cannot accept the things uh, of God. They are foolishness to them. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. John 14, 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One of my favorite uh, verses in all of the Bible. Notice, friends, Paul says that the message of the cross, the thing that we love so much, is foolishness to the world. Hanging A man hanging on a tree, and we say, by him dying for us, he takes away the infinite debt that we owe to God. He offers to God a perfect act of sacrificial worship. That this one act, if I believe in this one act along with his life and resurrection, that I can be saved. I don't have to ever, I will never reach the fires of hell. The world sees that as madness. It's illogical. And the reason why the world sees the message of the cross as foolishness is because the message of the cross determines one's eternal destiny. You see, saints, how does the world determine one's eternal destiny? If you were to ask someone on the street, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? What are they going to say? Well, I volunteer three times a week at this homeless shelter. I open the doors uh, for as many elderly people as I can. I give my money every time I see someone who's in need. That's how the world views one's eternal destiny. But saints, the Bible is clear that, that the deciding factor of where one will spend eternity is how one views the message of the cross. What are you going to do with this bleeding Savior? How do you view him? And friends, what is this message of the cross? Well, the message of the cross is simply this. That man cannot work his way to heaven. That there is not a ladder high enough in which you can climb and reach Almighty God. Ultimately, the message of the cross is simply this, that you cannot save yourself from your sins. 
But you need assistance. You need someone to come in your place. And as much fear and terror that the message of the cross strikes down to those who are in Adam, that they can't do nothing to save themselves. On the flip side, it preaches. It preaches to us, does it not? That Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life for you, and he has died a perfect sacrificial substitutionary death for you. And if you believe in this one, if you believe in this one who is hung on this tree, beaten and bloody, then you will find him as a perfect savior. The world can't understand that. The world can't get that. It's foolishness to them. No one can believe this message, friends, without supernatural grace. That's why they can't believe it, and that's why it's foolishness to them, because they don't have supernatural grace. They don't have supernatural theology. Man must be given grace by God to believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what natural theology is insufficient to do, supernatural theology is sufficient to do. Natural theology cannot save us. Supernatural theology can save us. Natural theology tells us that God exists. Supernatural theology tells us that God has sent his Son to live, die, and rise for us, and has sent his Holy Spirit to apply the Son's redemption to our lives. They're not two different gods, but just different ways or modes of revelation. In closing, friends, the great application of this lesson, and you might ask, well, there's been much that's been said. There's much theological language that I probably still don't understand. And if you have any questions, please feel free to ask me. But in light of all that's been said, you might ask, okay, how do I live for Christ better in light of this? How does my love for Christ grow in light of this? How do I live as a better Christian? a better wife or husband. The great application of this lesson is simply this, friends, is that those who are listening right now, and if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are, wherever you're at watching this, amening or nodding your head or within yourself, it's, if, you are, if you are saying, yes, I believe that, then you, friends, are the chosen few that God has given grace to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. You, friends, are the chosen few that God has given that divine and supernatural life to. That you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No text speaks of this clearly uh, with so little words than Psalm 36.9 does. For with you is the fountain of life. And hear what he says here, the psalmist. In your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. That is to say, by the illuminating light of the Holy Spirit, we come to a knowledge of the true light, who is Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're listening, you've been given that supernatural light. 
you've been given light to believe. You might not know every philosophical argument for the existence of God. You might not know every scientific proof for the existence of God. You might not be able to go toe-to-toe with every agnostic or atheist or whoever out there who denies the existence of God. But saints, you've been given someone who is far more powerful. You've been given a more illuminating power in person than any argument. You've been given the light of the Spirit to believe in Jesus Christ. And since that's not given to every single person in the world, that is not given to your friends or to your family or every one of your friends or every one of your family members. But it has been given to you. God has given to you this great light so that you may see light. He's given to you a natural theology that you can say, yes, there is a God. He is creator. That this not this didn't come about by random chance. But God created it all. But also, God has given to you grace. He's given to you his spirit. And his spirit has infused grace within you to move beyond your natural capacities. To see God not merely as one, but as triune. To see God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When someone says that you are dead in trespasses and sins, you say amen because you know that Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and rose victorious for you. Why is that, friends? Because God has given you light. Now you are the ones who are the wise ones. Remember, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. But how much wiser are you? Because not only do you say that there is a God, but you know who this God is. That you know that this God is your Father. That you know that this God is your elder brother, Jesus Christ. And you know that this God is your comforter, the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are to thank God for giving to us a natural theology, which we all have but also gracing us with supernatural theology so that we may love his word, love his church. We may love people in such a way that we may reflect Christ. And let me say that, and lastly, this, this divine and supernatural light doesn't stop at God opening your eyes, but the Spirit continues to infuse grace within you to conform you more into the image of Christ so that we may be rewarded with that one great blessing that we all are longing for, which is to see Christ face to face. So, saints, praise God for what he has done for us. Praise God for leaving marks and fingerprints all throughout this creation. And then praise God for giving to us the Holy Spirit that we may not merely believe that God is one, not merely believe that God exists, but believe that God is our Father who has sent his Son and who has given to us his Spirit. Let's pray.
Our great and holy God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for giving to us an innate knowledge of you. We know that you exist, but also you have given to us the spirit of God so that we know that you are triune. We know of your son, Jesus Christ. We know of the comfort and the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word that we may read your word and love it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving to us this grace and and you keep infusing into us grace upon grace. Conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ so that we may be partakers of the divine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I know much was said, um, but uh, uh, what I'll do is let, actually let me let me uh, let me read a, a benediction, and then uh, if you if you have to go, um, you're more than welcome to go. Uh, but if you have questions, uh, maybe it's I still don't understand natural theology. I still really don't understand supernatural theology. Uh, can you help me? Um, if you have any questions, I'm, I'm, I'll be here. If I can't answer them, uh, I'm sure someone else can, or I can give you uh, plenty of resources um, that will uh, that will help you. Um, so let me let me just read up a benediction, a blessing to you all, uh, and then if you have any questions, I'll stick around. Okay? So the Apostle Paul says this: Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So saints, I will see you